Welcome to this week's episode of Everyday Thin Places. I'm Rachel Gallagher, and I'm an interfaith hospice chaplain. And I'm Elizabeth Ferrasso, and I'm a birth doula. And in each episode of Everyday Thin Places, we draw from our experiences supporting birthing people and dying people to explore with honesty, authenticity, and humor how we can all become more truly living people. So today, Rachel, you and I made a list before we got started on this podcast of some topics that we really felt like we could just, yeah, give us a microphone, we can talk about it. Because it's something that we encounter as a part of our jobs, something that we experience, or we have experience with, we have experience with talking about grappling with because of the kind of work that we do. Uh, And right, right at the top of that list was fear. Mm. And so that's what we want to talk about today. Even so, we've made reference to this before that when we first started planning this podcast, we had no idea how the world would look Mm. when we would actually start recording and actually start to Mm. release these podcast episodes into the world. And so now more than ever, to talk about fear is so important, is such a timely topic. So I think we have some great ideas and perspectives about fear within pregnancy and birth, fear surrounding death. But I think there's people out there that are listening that are just afraid of, afraid of all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. We're afraid of ourselves or our loved ones contracting COVID. Mm -hmm. We're afraid of doing the wrong thing of sending kids back to school or not sending kids Mm. back to school. People are afraid of law enforcement. People are afraid of our government. People are afraid of their fellow citizens. Mm -hmm. People are afraid of 5G towers. There's Mm -hmm. all sorts of different fears, some that are very based in personal experience some that are based in universal experiences so Mm. so it's so important now more than ever that we talk about fear and and i guess we should just spoil this right from the beginning do you think that fear is Mm. inherently a bad thing do you think that fear is inherently something that we need to get rid of Mm. and fear is inherently something that we need to try to avoid i have a guess about your answer but tell me what you think yeah i mean this is something that i think i probably alluded to in episodes past that all of our emotions are there for a reason Mm -hmm. and that fear has a very important place in our lives it it serves a purpose so just like all of our other emotions just like feeling happy just like feeling secure content all those like positive like emotions that we associate with positive thoughts and um you know have positive connotations fear has an important place in our lives and it plays an important role. And so I don't think it's healthy to try to get rid of fear. Mm -hmm. I think there are good ways that we can um, work with our fear and kind of lean into it in some ways that are helpful in our lives. So yeah, I don't think fear is a bad thing. I think, you know, it feels uncomfortable and it can often feel um, unfamiliar but it's not, I don't think it's a bad thing. Yeah. 
it can be sort of like the speed bump that slows everything mm-hmm. down. And and I think that's what we think thin places are, these sort of disruptions to yeah. life that you could otherwise ignore. Yeah. Um, and so fear, some of the things that accompany fear are often very unpleasant, but fear itself, I don't think either one of us thinks of as an enemy. Mm-hmm. Um in fact, I would think of it as something that we would want to just have a good relationship with. Yeah. Can we become friends with fear in a way that we can get fear to work on our behalf mm-hmm. as part of our survival, as part of our thriving, rather than misunderstanding or misusing fear in our lives? Um, so what about your work as a chaplain, have you encountered mm. when people sort of make the assumption? I think that was one of the questions I asked you in, in one of our earliest episodes was, did people just assume that death is scary? Mm-hmm. And how do people respond to you when they know that your job is to regularly spend time with people who are dying? Yeah, I mean, I would say that you know, when I tell people what my job is, I get a handful of responses. I can kind of classify them, right? So there's people who think that what I do and the work surrounding death and dying um, is really admirable and I must be such a good person because of the work that I do. Um, and, and you know, the people that I work with are wonderful people and I do like to think of myself as compassionate. So thanks to anybody who thinks that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but there's another really large group of people who when they hear what I do, their their first response is to be fearful. Um, I, <laughs> I think of an encounter that I recently had, probably like six months ago. I was at a party and there were a ton of people there. This is back when we could be at parties Mm -hmm. with a ton of people there. Um, There were a ton of people there that I didn't know. And so, you know, I was going around and meeting people for the first time. And of course, you know, one of the first things that comes up when you meet strangers is, oh, what, what is it that you do for work? And I met this one man who I had never met before. And of course, he asked that question. And I barely got the words out of my mouth that I'm a hospice chaplain before he shut me down very quickly and said, oh, don't say that. (laughs) Sir, you asked me the question. (laughs) Um, But I think he was coming from a a place of fear. And I've, you know, that's not the first time I've gotten a response quite, you know, like that, where people hear the word hospice. um, People may even hear the word chaplain and they start to feel fearful because I think one of our greatest fears in life as humans is death. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of good reasons for that. One, it doesn't get talked a lot about in our society. So, you know, if it's something that we are avoiding talking about, we're never facing that fear. And two, it's something that none of us have ever experienced before. Yeah. Not a single one of us has died. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of it comes from the fear of the unknown. There's just a lot of fear surrounding death and dying. And um, yeah, and I get to work with it 
day in and day out, I'm one of the fortunate people who actually does get to have those conversations. Mm -hmm. So I feel like right now, one of my missions in life is to um, facilitate those conversations and normalize it um, because talking about it can only be a positive thing from my standpoint. Yeah. How about you with birth? You know, is is fear something that creeps into your conversations in your work? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, there's some people from the very beginning of pregnancy, they do experience fear right away. If it was an unplanned pregnancy, Mm -hmm. if there's there's any complications, sometimes people do have that fear from the beginning. But most people start out with a strong sense of excitement. Mm -hmm. I know that was my personal experience that I had this really strong sense of excitement the first time I found out I was pregnant. Um, And pregnancy can be scary, but pregnancy is this countdown Mm. to birth. And there comes this point where I think for me, I remember... I remember getting the emails. You can sign up for these email lists where they send you an update every week about what's going on with your baby's development. And this one in particular, every week they would say what size fruit or vegetable Uh your baby was growing to. And so, you know, the baby was the size of a grain of rice. The baby was the size of a blueberry. I remember the week that I got the email that they said the baby was the size of a bell pepper. And it was the first time that I was like, oh, a bell pepper sounds like it would hurt coming out. Um, And so sort of this idea, I think there's a strong link between we cannot separate fear from pain. Uh I mean, we're going to because we can't delve too deeply into the idea of pain. That's going to be a whole other episode for us to talk about pain in particular. But so much of fear is wrapped in experiencing pain. How bad is pain going to be? Can I handle the pain? Um, that's what I think of when I think of death and dying is, mm. um, would I have a painful death? And I don't really even think so much with great fear about my own death as I think with incredible fear about the death of people that I love mm-hmm. and the, how would I manage the pain of losing someone who I loved. And so in pregnancy and in birth, you are you are facing down the fact that you are at some point your pregnancy is going to come to an end and you're going to give birth and you've never done this before and, or you have done it before and you remember (laughs) that it was hard and pain is going to be a part of that and uncertainty and some element of risk are going to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. And that you are bringing a mortal being into the world. And so to introduce life means to introduce eventual death. Uh, So there's a lot to that. So I work with people to think about very early in pregnancy, I encourage them to dig around in their psyche a little bit. Mm. Um, I do an early pregnancy class where I give them a tool that's a fears inventory. And it digs around in all the different ways that maybe you're fearful. Are you fearful of losing your career? Mm. Are you fearful of what your relationship with your partner is going to be? Are you fearful that all the worst things that Mm. your parents did, you are going to repeat? Are you all these different fears that we might have? And so the big... The big way that fear becomes such a monster to us is when we let it be partially seen, partially explored. Mm. And so when we worry about these things, 
and I know you're going to talk about this as well, when we leave them as this what if, and we don't answer our what if questions, then we just let fear be this sort of monster in the closet, and we've never opened the closet to look at it. Mm. And so I encourage people to like open all the closet doors and stare down that fear. Uh, Because what we know about how our body handles fear is that within all of life, but this is especially true in birth, is that fear we handle with we, it creates tension in our body. So I tell people like, just think about body, what your body would be like. Here, we'll do this exercise now. So you are watching a scary movie. What does your body do when like somebody's walking down a dark hallway and you know that they're going to encounter something? And so we, you know, we tighten ourselves up. We get, um, you know, we get, we clench our fists, we clench our bottom, we clench our jaw, we turn fear into tension in our body. So when we fear, turn fear into tension in our body, we know that tension causes pain and exacerbates pain. And so that's why we have tension headache medicine. And that's why people get, you know, awful jaw pain if they're living with um, stress and tension day in and day out. And so that's why when drunk drivers walk away from an accident, but somebody who is sober is terribly injured because the drunk driver didn't know to tense up. And so we create worse injuries, we create more pain in any situation where tension is held up in our bodies. And so fear causes tension, which can create or exacerbate pain. Pain can be scary. Hmm. So then we have more fear. (laughs) Then we have more tension. Then we have more pain. And you can see where this would snowball out of control. If you've ever seen those shows, I didn't know I was pregnant. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Like, how scary would that be to have your body be going through something so intense and you just think that you're dying and something's wrong with you. And it's because you have so much, you have fear about what's going on versus someone who's excited Mm. that this day that they've been waiting for has arrived. And so it's really important for us to unpack fear that people have around birth. My recommendations for dealing with fear, I'm giving you so much of my material from one of my classes, but still but still sign up for my positively pregnant class if you are early in pregnancy, because um, I have other great tips. But um, when we have fear, this is true in pregnancy, this is true in all of life. My three main recommendations for ways to work with that fear is, first of all, is there some information that's going to change this fear? Um, can you obviously like the information of you are pregnant and you are going through birth versus the people who I didn't know I was pregnant? Yeah. Like that's an important piece of information. Is there some information that sheds different light that helps you to deal with this fear? And so let's get you really good information. That's part of my mission in life is to get people good information so that the horror stories that they hear from other people that are like passed down misinformation, we mm. just don't let that lodge in their brain and then in their body, Mm. and then create a more difficult experience. Um, Sometimes information just tells you that you're like, yeah, this is hard and uncertain, Mm. and it's probably going to hurt. And so we say, I encourage people to do that cognitive exercise of saying, what is the best that could happen? What's the worst that could happen? And what's probably going to happen? Again, we don't just leave it as an unanswered what if, but mm-hmm. actually walk it through. If the worst thing I can imagine happens, in what ways am I still going to be okay? Mm-hmm. In what ways are people that love me still going to be present and help me? 
in what ways am I going to have strengths that I wouldn't have otherwise had? Okay, well, what if the best thing happens? Well, here's how that's going to look. And then, okay, well, what's probably going to happen? Probably not the best or the worst. It's probably going to be somewhere in between. So Mm -hmm. sometimes that exercise helps. And then um, the third thing I recommend, which is, again, going to be a whole other episode that we offer very soon, is the power of ritual. Mm -hmm. That sometimes you just depend upon um, being able to do something that reinforces... um, a deeply held belief system of support community, other people who share a faith tradition with you or just ways that we sort of walk our body through the steps of everything is going to be okay. Mm. Even when we don't exactly know how things are going to turn out. So sometimes lighting a candle And sometimes saying a prayer or sometimes I tell people, you know what, write all your fears on a rock with a Sharpie and go pitch it in the river. Hmm. That's a ritual. Have a way that if, if if you don't have any other practical way to deal with it, don't let it be this monster that just gets to hang out and torment you all the time. You find some kind of ritual that helps you to feel like you are getting to exercise some sort of power over that fear. I think that's so interesting and so beautiful. And I'm struck by that because surrounding death, there are definitely rituals that are Mm -hmm. kind of built in to our society, right? Um, Into our religious belief systems. I'm, you know, the first thing that comes to mind for me is um, some of my Catholic patients um, and their families. It's very important for them to receive the sacrament of the sick mm-hmm. um, or as it used to be called last rites. It's the same thing. Um, but yeah, it is a ritual that has been passed down and is has become very, very important in that faith tradition as people are getting closer to death. And I think it's like, that is widely known, but I don't like I've never heard people really talk about ritual as it is related to pregnancy and birth. And mm-hmm. so I love that you incorporate that. And that's just like another one of the million ways that our jobs overlap yeah. and that um, birth and death are can be very similar. Um, and ritual is just like another amazing way that people can experience thin places. Yeah. I mean, because rituals, especially when they're um, rituals that come as a part of your culture or as a part of your belief system, they connect you to other people. And so Mm -hmm. there's a sense of, I'm feeling fearful about this thing that other people have faced, Mm -hmm. that other people Mm -hmm. have gone through. I'm not the only one who is doing this. And so, I mean, that's when fear is scary. Fear is scary when you feel totally alone. And that's where even in this difficult time in history that we're all living Mm -hmm. through, the part that's making it tolerable is that we're going through it together. Yeah, And so we all have such difficult adjustments to life, higher demands, more uncertainties, um, kids at home that we don't know what to do with any longer. And we have these things, but other people are doing it together. And so I love how 
ritual can be very, very individualistic, and it can still be very powerful to have your own personal ritual mm-hmm. that only means something to you. But it is especially a thin place when it connects you to a greater community and a greater sense of, I'm not alone in this. Yeah. I don't want to get us too off topic, but um, just to share a little more behind the scenes with our listeners, we've struggled with how do we start recording our podcasts? And it feels like we should be doing something mm-hmm. that would be maybe a ritual yeah. as we press record. Yeah. So I'm going to challenge us <laughs> yeah. to come up with a ritual because you know, especially in the very beginning of this podcast, we we were a little fearful. Yeah. We don't know what we're doing. I still get nervous when we press record. <laughs> but we're doing it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think ritual might be helpful for us. So yeah. we'll keep our listeners posted with whatever we, it is that we come up with for yeah. our ritual. Well, and we'll do it just deserves a whole episode. There will be yep. there has to be a whole episode on pain, especially to consider pain versus suffering. Yeah. And there has to be a whole episode on ritual because I got a lot more to say about that than we have time for today. But to think about fear, um, you know, we talk about our our bodies are a very big part of fear because our bodies are doing the job of keeping us alive Mm -hmm. in the face of threat. And so I only learned really recently, we've all heard about fight or flight, Mm -hmm. that our body responds to a threatening situation by fight or flight. But that there are also other responses. There's fight or flight or freeze. Hmm. That sometimes we're tempted to freeze. Another one that I just recently learned about is that you could, uh, they all have to start with Fs. You know, we're on the F. It's too late to pick a different letter. Of course. But fight or flight or freeze or fawn. Where fawn is where you sort of like, you become the cute little you would never want to hurt me, right? And so that's something that children or victims of abuse might often do is a response to protect themselves is Mm. that you praise and you fawn over the person that would be threatening you, the thing that would be threatening you. Wow. And so it's so interesting to think about how well our bodies are equipped to um, respond Uh to things that would threaten us. And so that's where we we want to revere fear. Yeah. That it's good at telling us when something's wrong, but it's also really smart to know that this is what we do, that sometimes our bodies are going to respond to that. And we might have a sort of uh, pet way of responding. (laughs) You might be a freezer. You might be a fighter. Mm. I'm not a fighter. (laughs) Which one would you consider yourself to be? I don't know. I might be a fawner. I think think I'm a fawner. (laughs) That's what was really upsetting when I heard about that. I'm like, oh, all of my people pleasing so that Uh people won't dislike me and I can, you know, I can move through life with less threat because, Mm -hmm. because I say, I sort of think that maybe we should do this. (laughs) I don't know if that's, if that's more of the female experience to realize that that's Hmm. the way that we often have to move through society is to qualify the things that we say. Mm -hmm. Um, but so it's just helpful to know what these responses are, to recognize them in ourselves and others and to have these tools to say, okay, fear, I see you, I know you're present, but let me explore with you. What are you trying to tell me that's true and important? Mm -hmm. What are you telling me that, um, is maybe not accurate Mm -hmm. and you're going to lead me in 
to making not great decisions to like fighting or flying or (laughs) fawning in situations where um, I just need to operate in a different way. Um, I like how I've heard the author Elizabeth Gilbert talk about this. I don't know if this is original to her, but she says, you know, with fear, we have to respect fear that it has done so much to keep us alive. If we were not, if we had no fear, we'd all be dead. Yeah. Because we would have walked right up to the grizzly bear. Mm-hmm. Um, so fear has kept us alive. So let's, let's not eliminate fear, but let's think of it. Life is like a road trip. And if this is a road trip and fear, we're kind of going to personify, we're not going to let fear drive. Fear does not get to drive. Guess what? Fear does not even get to sit in the navigator's seat. Let's let fear sit in the back and pick the snacks. (laughs) And so we sort of like have this gentleness to think about fear with the tenderness of a child of like, they're there. I understand. You know, the same way that you, you know, a kid that thinks the monster's under the bed and you just have to show them like, here, look, this is what the monster looks like. It was really just your pile of clothes Mm -hmm. or... Yeah, that is scary. Bees are scary and they hurt you. And so here's how we can try to not get stung by a bee in the future. And to sort of like the same way that you would tenderly deal with a child who was fearful to deal with your own fears in that way and and maybe throw some extra snacks because snacks always help. But um, don't we wouldn't put a child in the driver's seat and we wouldn't put a child in the navigator see and fear is so primitive sort of like our child likeness so let's let it be a part of the life journey but um but let's also be sure that we um get good information Mm -hmm. let's be sure that we challenge our thoughts with some cognitive processes let's live with the wisdom of rituals and the way that they can help us and our communities can help us um and let's not be driven to harm ourselves or harm other people or live in a constant state of anxiety or increase pain in mm-hmm. our world mm-hmm. by having fear be in the driver's seat your analogy about the road trip reminds me of um have you seen the movie inside out yes the disney pixar movie of yeah. course i love it because it's disney and pixar but um the idea that you know we have all of these emotions hanging out in our head and in our bodies and they all serve a purpose mm-hmm. and there's a time and a place and you can actually talk to those parts of your brain and tell them thanks for your help come on we're going on a road trip mm-hmm. sit in the back seat mm-hmm. and if i need you to jump in the front seat and navigate for me i'll let you know yeah 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 i think that that can be helpful and wouldn't that be such a different way to approach birth yeah. and to approach death and to approach all of life yeah. if we just let fear have its proper place? Yeah. I think a key element of that also, and I think we've, you know, we've kind of danced around this too, is is living in the present, mm-hmm. living in the right now and recognizing, okay, this is what I need to focus on right now. This is the danger that is making me fearful right now and this is what I need to deal with right now right and the stuff in the future while it is important to plan for the future and to be prepared for things um, we can't let that consume us yeah so I love your exercise of thinking through okay 
what's the best thing that could happen? What's the worst thing that could happen? What's probably going to happen? And then I would add what's happening right now. Yeah. Yeah. I've found that helpful in my own everyday life. You know, we've talked about the fact that I've never been pregnant. I've never given birth. Um, but that tool is helpful for me. Um, what like that question of what is the worst thing that could happen mm-hmm. that has been really helpful for me in dealing with my own anxieties and fears, um, not surrounding birth, obviously, and not really surrounding death, but in everyday life, what's the worst thing that could happen? It's so helpful for me to be able to name yeah, what it is that yeah. I'm afraid of. And to have good people in life who can like help guide you through that. Yeah. I, I'm recalling a conversation I had when... Um, we were considering moving. Uh-huh. Just felt like really, I've lived my childhood home. I lived in for seventeen years. My first home in Philadelphia. I lived in for seventeen years, and so it felt very threatening to me for anyone to suggest that I uproot and even move across town. Yeah. And it just it, there's so many different financial unknowns that come along with that, and. Um, and, you know, the economy has not always been great or promising for a lot of people in our age group. And I remember um, I remember talking with my husband about it, and I was just forecasting the worst situation. But I had never articulated the worst situation. I just was sitting with the anxiety of it. And I remember him saying, like, what, like, what do you think is going to happen? Like, what's the worst that could happen? I'm like well, we get in a new house and we have a mortgage and we can't pay it and we're homeless. And <laughs> I know that sounds silly, but that's really the anxiety yeah. I was I was facing. And he's like, you'll hear, we can share stories of my husband later. He's got a very, um, a very interesting life that he's lived. He's like, I've been homeless before. Mm. He's like, if we're homeless, I will make us the best cardboard box oh. set up he's like i know the places to go if we're home we'll be okay and then it was like we followed that into like i started to think about all the people that wouldn't actually let me be homeless yeah um all the friends all the people that would make sure we were okay yep. so i know that sounds so silly it sounds so silly to be like <laughs> let me walk around with the anxiety and the fear of i could end up homeless but that was that was the unnamed monster mm-hmm that I had to name and then to have a partner who would say, well, here's how we would handle it. If the worst thing happened, I'm like, Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. That's the monster. Okay. And, um, so I do, I do have one more story. Okay. I'm thinking of, because so we, we often think we're, we're fearful of the things that we've sort of spent the time focusing on. Mm Mm-hmm. When sometimes we don't even know what to be afraid of. Um, I remember, uh, so before, this was actually when I was fixing up that house that I lived into in for 17 years. And for anybody who is familiar with the Philadelphia area, I was living with a family who lived right on Kensington Avenue. So even if you're only familiar with the East Coast, you might know that there's a stretch of Kensington Avenue that runs through Philadelphia that is the highest area of drug trafficking on the Eastern Seaboard. Mm -hmm. There's more heroin moving in and out. Um, So I lived directly across the street from a soup kitchen uh, where people, like, their home was on the sidewalk. So pretty, like pretty intense place to be yeah um i was 
I was home alone. The family that I was staying with, they were out of town. I was home by myself. It was a winter night. I looked outside like there were people out on the sidewalk because they live on the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. And I thought, um, I think I'll go make them some hot chocolate and take hot chocolate out. So I took some hot chocolate out to our um, neighbors without homes. <laughs> And then I came back in, and I got in my bed. It was really cold. I was under the covers. And um, I could hear this, like, scratch, scratch, scratch. Which anyone who lives in this city <sighs> knows the sound of mice. The dreaded sound. That, I was like, there is a mouse doing handicrafts. Like it, it was, like, tearing up paper for its nest in the corner of the room that I was sleeping in. And, I mean, I, of course, have encountered plenty of mice in my yeah. city days. Um, but I never get any less afraid of little teeny <laughs> rodents. So I laid there like eyes wide, wide awake, couldn't go to sleep because I was like, there's a mouse. I'm like, I need to pee. I can't get up out of bed. <laughs> and so I'm in this situation where I, um, I'm like terrified. So I wake up the next morning, not having gotten very good sleep because there was this mouse, you uh-huh. know, terrorizing me. I'm getting ready. It was a Sunday morning. I was going to go to church. I'm looking around. Where's my keys? Can't find my keys. Can't find my keys. Where's my keys? And then my stomach drops. And I walk to the front door where my keys had been hanging in (laughs) the doorknob on Kensington Avenue all night long while I slept by myself. Not a care in the world about the keys. Not a care in the world about (laughs) that I was like openly inviting anybody who wanted, who might have wanted to cause me harm, to just come right on in. Um, And so that was a big (laughs) lesson for me. (laughs) To just, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm still afraid of mice. It didn't teach me that lesson. I'm still afraid of mice. But to think about the fact that we often don't even know what to be afraid of. Yeah. (sighs) (laughs) We don't even know what to be afraid of. And so the best we can do is to live life with what we have present right in front of us. The best that we can do is to connect with other people, connect um, connect with a sense of, I think, love and hopeful expectancy even knowing that like the uncertainties of life still bring so much rich- richness to them because we can't we can't control mm-hmm. um, what we can't expect and we can't control everything even if we know what's all around us and so um yeah it just for me it comes back to like okay fear like i'm really going to try my best to be friends with you yeah i think you can help me to have a better life mm-hmm. you've kept me alive mhm you um you don't always know what you're doing because you you know have all these other influences that make you seem you know make you kind of have misinformation sometimes and i need the help of good sources and i need the help of good people to help me sort through but um yeah we don't have to never be fearful right we can work through fear yeah and use it to draw us closer to each other even. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, listeners, go ahead. Be afraid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're not alone in your fear. Um, in birth, in death, in life. Yeah. There are good reasons to be afraid. Um, but I think we need to grapple with 
what is the root of our fear and how do we work through it from a place of knowing yeah good stuff yeah good stuff and so we will i don't know how soon but we're gonna have to come back to talking more about ritual and Mm -hmm. give some people some more practical tips yeah um but i think that's our practical tip to walk away with today is like when you feel your body reacting to fear when you feel that tension rising up stop breathe deeply um ask yourself those questions Mm -hmm. like can i get better information somehow yeah can i um think about what's the worst that could happen the best that could happen and what's probably going to happen yeah good well so stay tuned yeah for more more to to come about pain versus suffering (laughs) and when we talk about the power of rituals yeah but um and people, just a reminder, you can join us on our closed Facebook group. Yes, Cafe please. Thin Places is going to be a good place to come and continue these conversations to where you can talk about your own experiences with fear. Yes. And um, your own rituals that you mm-hmm. use, your own um, ways of depending on people around you so that life can be richer in the face of fear instead of the value of life being taken away. Cool. See you there. All right. Thanks for joining us. Now it's our turn to hear from you. So would you do us a big favor and go into your podcast app and rate us? Even better, would you write us a glowing review? That will help other listeners to find us. And make sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. You can also visit our website at everydaythinplaces.com where you will find all sorts of fun and interesting information, as well as learn about how you can help to support this podcast and earn special exclusive perks. There you will also find links to follow us on social media or else just pop directly over to Instagram or Facebook where you will find us at Everyday Thin Places. Thanks so much for joining us today. Until next time, I'm Elizabeth. And I'm Rachel. Bye. Bye.